Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 31. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim, and he went over the Jordan with the king to conduct him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old, and he had provided the king with sustenance while he lay at Mahanium, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will sustain thee with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said unto the king, How many are the days of the years of my life that I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore years old. Can I discern between good and bad? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto my lord the king? Thy servant would but just go over the Jordan with the king, and why should the king recompense it me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in my own, mine own city by the grave of my father and my mother. But behold, thy servant, Kimam, let him go over with my lord, the king, and do to him what shall seem good unto thee. And the king answered, Kinam shall go over with me, and I will do to him that which shall seem good unto thee. And whatsoever thou shalt require of me, that will I do for thee. And all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he Barzillai, that is, returned unto his own place. As I have done with these last uh, few men that have come forward again in this account in 2 Samuel, I would invite you to follow as I read a few verses from chapter 17, the end beginning at 27, where we first encounter Barzillai. And it came to pass, when David was come to Mahanaim, that Shobai, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Machir, the son of Amiel, of Lodibar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, of Rogalim, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheats and barley and meal and parched grain and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of the herd for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And when we encountered that passage and when we dealt with it, and we can see as we've read it again just now, that there's very little spoken of Barzillai. We're not given very much information. We get more information in in the passage in chapter 19 that we're looking at today. But something that didn't come to my mind from chapter 17 that frankly came into my mind after I got up this morning. I don't mind admitting. Trusting the Lord brought it to my mind. 
but the matter that Barzillai is referred to as the Gileadite. Now remember when we looked at that, that none of the writers that I consulted, nobody was able with any certainty at all to discover where Rogelim was. And some of them made guesses and so on, none which amounted to anything really of helpfulness. But the fact that he was a Gileadite brought to my memory and to my mind the case, the issue of Gilead. Gilead, perhaps you remember from Numbers and Deuteronomy, Gilead was that part of the promised land that was given to Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Out of Manasseh's loins came Gilead, or they entered Gilead, they declared the name of that land Gilead, and out of Gilead came Barzillai, the Gileadite. And you may be wondering what relevance does that have? Well, it seems to me that what we're seeing in this person, Barzillai, is incredible faithfulness. He was there. And we didn't know that he was 80 years old unless we had looked ahead. We didn't know at that time that he was 80 years old, but here's this 80-year-old, this octogenarian, riding some 50 miles, likely, to bring all these things, all these needs, this food and, and other things needed by David and his men, to David and Mahaniam, and it's intimated that he continued to supply and he continued bringing all during David's stay at Mahaniam, which is just now being ended and broken up by the conclusion of the battle and he's about to cross over the Jordan. And Barzillai comes once again in that wonderful faithfulness evidenced by this old man to escort David across the Jordan. He didn't step out of the boat as far as we can tell or whatever vessel was that was employed to conduct David across the Jordan with his family, but he escorted him across the Jordan and then they kissed and Barzillai went back to his own home. But we see this remarkable faithfulness and his ancestors that occupied the land of Gilead, that occupied that land on the other side of Jordan from where the rest of the tribes were going over to conquer and drive out the heathen. They asked Moses, can we have this land? And he told them that they could have that land, that it would belong to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, but that they must go forth with the army to help the rest conquer the promised land. And when that time came, they not only went across in their faithfulness, they had built uh, dwellings and they had built pens for the cattle and the sheep, made all preparations for their families and for their livestock. And then they went over. Not only did they go over with the army, with the host of Israel, but they were in the van, if you will. They were in the forefront. They were faithful. And it seems here that Barzillai the Gileadite inherited that faithfulness. We see him now after he had proven his faithfulness for we don't know 
how frequently, but he had proven his faithfulness and once again for the last time. As far as we know, he proves it again. He demonstrates his faithfulness in conducting the king over the Jordan. He was 80 years old, we're told. That's a lot of years. He was an octogenarian, as I said. I checked to see what the life expectancy was today, at this time, in South Carolina. For men, 74. So if any, uh, if any of us happen to have passed that, we need to be thankful to God that we passed it, and some of us have. Women, 80. But we know, whatever connection we may have, whatever we may see on the news reports, we know that even though this is not Chicago, there are men, many young people dying young in their foolishness through overdose, through high-speed chases, through being shot by gang members. We know that there are many that never see 70, that never see 80 for sure. We find Moses <clears throat> writing Psalm 90 in which he says in verse 9 through 12, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We bring our years to an end as a sigh. The days of our years are threescore and ten, or even by reason of strength, fourscore years. Yet is there pride but labor and sorrow, for it is soon gone, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger and thy wrath according to the fear that is due unto thee? So, Moses continues, teach us to number our days that we may get us a heart of wisdom. Teach us, each one of us here. We need to be taught. We need to pray to be taught the number, to understand the number of our days. Not that we might go to some some seance or something or, or somebody with a crystal ball to find out how many years are we going to live? When are we going to die? We don't know that. And neither does anyone else. But teach us to number them. In, in other words, to make every one of them count as Christians loving God through our Lord Jesus Christ, depending upon God the Holy Spirit, numbering our days in that manner that we may get us a heart of wisdom, that we may learn through the study of the scriptures, through prayer, meditation, listening to the teaching and the preaching of God's word, that we may get us a heart of wisdom. That's how we are to number our days, walking with Jesus Christ, under God, learning. What a waste is a day if we can't meditate upon something at night when we lay our heads upon our pillows, that we have learned more of God, more of Jesus Christ, more of God, the Holy Spirit. 
in Lamentations 3.27, we're told it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And it is, it is excellent for men and women, males and females, children, boys and girls, to bear the yoke. I take that to be a reference to coming to Christ at an earlier age. Some of us have much to grieve over living almost half of our lives without Christ. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good to come to Jesus Christ, to come to God through the blood of the Lamb in his youth, in one's youth. It is good. And Moses has said that even though one live 80 years or 70 years, that it's all the pride is all nothing but labor and sorrow. Barzillai is 80 years old and he considered himself of little use and even more than of little use but of a burden to David, no help for him. And frankly, he was telling David that he was too old to enjoy all these amenities at the court. He couldn't couldn't be content and happy sitting there in the court and listening to men and women sing. He couldn't be content with all the delicacies that may have found their way onto the king's table. He didn't have the ability anymore. He was 80 years old. And we know from acquaintances, we know from family members that this tabernacle, as Peter puts it in his epistle, this tabernacle is coming down. Our tent is being taken down. And the older we get, the more we realize that the tent is coming down. We're not able in many cases not able to do the things that we once did. Or if we're still able by God's grace to do the things that we once did, we're not able to do them as well as we once did. The tabernacle is being taken down. As Christ told me, Peter said, Christ has told each one of us the tabernacle is coming down. We begin to die from our birth, do we not? In a very real sense. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to get a heart of wisdom. These words of Barzillai, we find that perhaps David's son Solomon, if he is the writer of Ecclesiastes, that perhaps David had told him about the words of Barzillai because Ecclesiastes seems to be something of an echo of that. Ecclesiastes in, in the 11th verse, the 11th verse, we read those rather well-known words beginning at 11.9 where the preacher tells us, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways 
of thy heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Enjoy your youth. Rejoice in your youth. It's talking to those that love God. To rejoice in your youth. To enjoy the things of your youth while you may. It's not speaking to unbelievers to go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. It's telling believers to enjoy these things and bringing into remembrance to those who aren't believers that everything will be brought into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They're vanity. They're a, a breath, a, a breeze, a, a vapor, a wind that just blows by, as we're told again and again in the scriptures. Remember also, he exhorts, remember also thy creator in the days of thy youth. Before the evil days, before the evil days come and the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, when you can't do what you had been able to do in your youth. And he, and he goes over this litany of, of these metaphors and figures that speak of the body, the tabernacle being taken down, the body decaying, the body becoming decrepit, things that we don't even like to think about, but it happens to all. And the only way that it doesn't happen is if you're cut off in your strength. And then you're cut off. But he goes and uses all these metaphors. Losing the ability to see. The windows shall be darkened. The hearing is decreasing. When the sound of the grinding is low. And so on and so forth. And the writer of Ecclesiastes seems to be echoing. What Barzillai is telling David. I can't enjoy these things anymore. I can't do many of these things anymore. Let me turn back. These things are all labor and sorrow. I am fourscore years old. Can I discern between good and bad? Of course he can discern between good and bad in a spiritual sense, in a Christian sense, in a godly sense. He's talking about these other things. But Moses goes on in Psalm 90 to say, that these things, this life, whether it's 80 years or 70 years, it is soon gone. If you look at obituaries every morning like some people do, you find out that there are a lot of people living to see 80 years, 90 years. And it's not unusual at all to see 100, 102. But guess what? They died, and that's why their names are on that list, because they died. It is soon gone. No matter how many years, it's soon gone. And the older you get, I'm going to say from experience, the sooner it feels like you're going. It is soon gone. Often the latter years, as Moses states, are full of labor and sorrow. It's downhill the rest of the way after you reach a certain point. Unable to do many things 
that we were once able to do. This is not always the case with things, but it often is and must be considered. It reminds us of the words of Moses there, where he makes the statement about the years of a man, how long they are, but it's soon gone. It's going to be gone. You may think, well, I'm a strapping young man. Why should I think about death? Because it's soon gone. This life is soon gone. Death may be waiting right around the corner for you. You just simply don't know. There are some that live all these years, but Moses prays, and in particular, teach us to number our days. Make them count for God. Make them count for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lamb of God. Make them count. Number them. Be able to meditate upon the number and that each day that you have accomplished something in your life that will glorify God, that will magnify his name. Be that salt, be that light that we have been made to be and that we're called to be. Number your days in that respect for they'll be soon gone. One writer who just happened to be a Welsh Baptist pastor and preacher in the 17th century spent his last number of years <coughs> in prisons in London, Fleet Prison, the famous Fleet Prison in London. That's where he died, but he wrote these words, pray that thy last days and last works may be the best. Was that not what Barzillai was attempting to accomplish, or at least he accomplished, just because of his faithful nature. Pray that thy last days and last works may be the best, and that when thou comest to die, thou mayest have nothing else to do but die. This might have been written of Barzillai. This seems to be his attitude. Let me go home. Let me be buried by my, the grave of my father and mother. Just let me go home. I'm four score years old this day. It was recalled. The saying, the expression, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Sadly, those words were uttered by Balaam, the false prophet. Balaam, who uttered some of God's truth, but nonetheless was a false prophet himself, and he caused Israel to sin. But Matthew Henry spoke about this, saying, there are many who desire to die the death of the righteous, but do not endeavor to live the life of the righteous. And that's a problem Gladly would they have their end like theirs, that is, like the righteous. But they don't want anything to do with their way. They want to die like them, but they don't want to live like them. They would be saints in heaven, but not saints on earth. It doesn't work that way. If you're not a saint on earth, if you're not a child of God on earth, and you die, 
That's the end. Your life is soon gone. You're dead. And there's nothing remaining but judgment. There is. No. In spite of what many people say, in spite of what many preachers intimate, there is no fire escape salvation. Salvation is by the grace of God. The regenerating gracious power of God the Holy Spirit bringing the new birth about. That one's eyes are opened. His heart's changed into a new heart. An individual that once loved certain things now begins and comes to hate them. And that hated some other things begins to love them. Why didn't I ever care to be with the people of God? I don't want to be anywhere else now, they say. It's that great change, that radical change. But there's no fire escape salvation. There's no just escaping the fire, no just escaping eternal death. Many perhaps have chosen that route of supposed salvation, thinking that they have Jesus Christ as their savior, but they've not bowed to him as their Lord. They only want the fire escape. They don't want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, just the savior. There's no fire escape salvation. There's no secret rapture either. If people think that they can go down an aisle or raise their hand or say some prayer and then that's all settled, you believe God said, you're forgiven now, don't you? God wouldn't lie, would he? And so now they're just living their life as they will, not as God wills. They live their life as they will anticipating being swept up in this secret rapture. There's no such thing. There won't be anything secret about the true rapture. When Jesus descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon his enemies. There's no secret rapture and there's no purgatory either. What a blasphemy. After we're dead, we can go somewhere that some theologians have concocted where we can satisfy God's justice for our sins by suffering so long. There is no such place. There is no purgatory. All these blasphemers have come up with their different plans to turn people's eyes away from the truth. Turn people's eyes away from the truth. That it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this cometh judgment. No purgatory, no rapture, no fire escape. Judgment. But remember the verse that follows that verse in Hebrews 9, where we read, So Christ also, having been once offered to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time apart from sin, to them that wait for him, unto salvation. Those that are waiting for him to come, when he shall appear a second time, unto salvation, that consummation of salvation, 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to descend from heaven, if you're waiting joyfully, loving the Lamb, loving his Father, loving God the Holy Spirit, you will be taken to be with him where he is as he promised. Don't be waiting for death. Don't be waiting for death. Sitting on your hands, doing nothing, waiting for death. But be among those that are waiting for Christ, for his appearing unto salvation. Whether that waiting is concluded by death or by our Lord's coming again for us. You remember, of course, the ten virgins in Matthew 25, the wise and the foolish, those that had oil for their lamps and those that did not have oil for their lamps, those that were ready and those that were not ready to hear that midnight cry, behold the bridegroom, behold the Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, coming for his bride, the church, the true people of God. That glorious cry, come ye forth to meet him. Barzillai, I believe, was waiting and ready. Are we waiting and ready for his appearing is the question. What happened after they were taken in and the foolish virgin showed up after running around looking for oil in some hopeless places? They appear, and what do we read? Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord. See, they could call him Lord, but it wasn't sincere. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. I don't know you. You never made yourself known to me by repentance and faith. I don't know you. Watch therefore, for ye know not the day nor the hour. And John embellishes this, if we could put it that way, in John chapter 5. Marvel not at this, for the hour cometh. There's an hour coming. In which all that are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. They that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment. But what do we read about those, lastly, about those foolish virgins? And the door was shut. Lord, Lord, open. The door was shut. The day will come if you don't believe in Christ today. If you haven't given your life to God through Jesus Christ, if you haven't believed on him as the Lamb of God, as, as, as our Savior and Lord, hanged on that tree, the one who is called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. If you go around not embracing Christ, not loving him, not believing on him, the door will be shut. The day is coming when the door will be shut. 
And for many, that day has been death. Don't let it end. Don't let the door be shut by death. You think you'll always have an opportunity? It's not true. Do we not see this even taught early in Genesis 7? The flood? Do we not see that? Is this not a, a parallel with the, the foolish virgins? We read there. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God commanded him. And what? And Jehovah shut him in. Think about those people that laughed and mocked at Noah's preaching. There's going to be a flood. God's going to destroy the earth. And they mocked at him. Ah, that old white-haired fool. What does he know? I've imagined a number of times all the claw marks on the sides of the ark as the waters were raising. All the people that wanted in clawing away at the door. But the door had been shut by Jehovah. And there was no entrance. Another example, of course, is the rich fool. This night shall thy soul be required of thee. Oh, I'm going to take care of that tomorrow. I'm going to build some new barns to put all my goods in. This night is thy soul required of thee. I believe Barzillai was rich toward God. He demonstrated it by his faithfulness, by his care for God's people, for David, the anointed of God. And he showed much more faithfulness than David himself did. That may simply be because we don't get, we don't see anything of those other 75 years or whatever. But the point is that all we see of Barzillai is this faithfulness as an octogenarian, and we can, we can presume, I think, that he was faithful most of his life, or much of it. He is found faithful at the end. Is that your desire? At the end of the day, to be found faithful? That's the desire of many of us here. Our years are in his hands. Our days are in his hands. Our hours are in his hands. Our minutes are in his hand. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We are the Israel of God. We are those for whom Christ has died. The children of promise, not, not the children of the flesh, but the children of the promise are reckoned for a seed, the scriptures tell us. We have certainly... We have certainly only the breath that's in our nostrils right now, this moment. Now it's already gone after I spoke another word. There's only the breath in your nostrils right now that you can count on. That's how quickly death could come upon any one of us. Only that one breath that's in our nostrils right now. Come now ye that say, James writes, today or tomorrow we will go 
into this city. We don't have today or tomorrow. Today is the day. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, Solomon wrote in Proverbs. Check the obituaries as I've already mentioned, and you'll see many living short lives. Yes, many 80, 90, and 100, but many dying in their teens, 20s, 30s, and so on. We're guaranteed only that breath in our nostrils right now. Job 21, 23, one dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. Are you in your full strength? Is your body in great shape and tone? One dieth in his full strength. That's no guarantee. None whatever. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, is the only guarantee for any sinner, and we're all sinners. We all need Jesus Christ as, an act, as our advocate, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our mediator, as our champion. So often and so sincerely used by Christians over days past is that expression, and we hear it quite often, God willing, how often is it truly sincere? It's written DV, Deo Valente in the Latin. And many use it, but do they really do they really desire that God's will be done? Are they really striving to do God's will? One dieth in full strength, and another dieth in bitterness of soul, and never tasted of good. They lie down alike in the dust, and the worm covereth them. Young, strong athletes, football players, Weightlifters, baseball players, many, many in their prime drop dead for no apparent reason and they're buried along with old men, like Barzillai, but not like Barzillai, because they're not, they do not die in Christ. But without him, old John Trapp, I used to call him old John Trapp anyway. I think that he never reached my age. He said, to live with dying thoughts is the way to die with living comforts. Do you understand that? To live with dying thoughts is the way to die with living comforts. And I believe this speaks well of Barzillai also. How about ourselves? Are we living in the knowledge that we are prepared to die. Imitate Barzillai in his hospitality. Imitate Barzillai in his faithfulness. Imitate Barzillai in his contentment. Just let me go home and die and be buried in my village with my father and mother. Imitate Barzillai in being prepared for death whenever it might come. We're told repeatedly in the scriptures, today if you will hear his voice, today if you will hear his voice. 
Not tomorrow. Today. You don't have any guarantee of tomorrow, as I've said. That breath that's in your nostrils right now may be your last. I remember hearing of a man, this has been a number of years ago, probably in the Reader's Digest that many here have never heard of. But a man coming out of the doctor's office. And boy, he was a big smile on his face. The doctor just gave him a clean bill of health and he was feeling great. Ah! And collapsed dead in the waiting room. We don't know. We need to live every day. Number our days. Live every day as though it's the last day on earth. Today, if you'll hear my voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as those in the wilderness, the scriptures teach us. Think not that you can put it off until tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. No one has ever been promised tomorrow. Apart from Jesus Christ. Salvation is promised. To those who repent of their sins and embrace Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. Tomorrow is not promised. To anyone. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we long to see hearts revived, regenerated. We long to see multitudes living unto thee. Oh, Lord our God, that we might be among that number, living unto thee, according to thy will, not our own. We do thank thee for each of us here that have been kept breathing to this point in time. We thank thee and praise thee through Jesus Christ. Amen. Just stand for the benediction. It's found in Romans 15, 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen.